America's having a love affair with love affair. An incredibly romantic movie. You look a little clammy here, all right? Me? It just makes you feel good. This is amazing. <laughs> Annette Benning is beautiful. Catherine Hepburn's perfect. A great date movie. My feet aren't touching the ground yet. Warren Beatty, Annette Benning, Love Affair. It's for people who love love. Rated PG-13. Sneak preview Saturday, October 15th. Check newspapers. Outrageous. Mmm, give your mouth a party. This is It Happened One Year, a look back at the events big and small, themed and forgotten from 1994. Hey everybody, I'm doing the intro today. <laughs> but I do it just like Joe anyway, so it's not really all that different. But anyway, hey everybody, welcome to the show. We're here. It's uh, it happened one year. We're doing 1994 it again. We're doing it again. One more time. Uh Se- several more times. I mean, we keep doing it. <laughs> we we're, we're, yet. It's hard to even say if we keep finding new topics. We're sort of stumbling across stuff to talk about, but I wouldn't say that we're like really exploring all of the different facets of 94. <laughs> No, no. I would say we're just trying to look for things that aren't just us telling stories, but that have some sort of interesting slant to it. But yeah, we had a lot of uh, little different options. Uh, we have a list of things to, to look at and to talk about. And this one, we just managed to slam a whole bunch of stuff together and be like, I guess this is an episode. You guys tell us. Again, give us feedback. Let us know. If it's good. If it's bad, don't tell us. But if it's good, feel free to give us feedback. Listen, I don't presume to speak for the listeners, but they do not give us feedback. <laughs> They don't reach out. So We are perpetually wondering, is this anything? I don't know. I, I think it's going to be curious if we get to like a serious number of episodes and it'd be yeah. like, are we really just doing this for each other? <laughs> is this all this is? I think the answer to that question is mostly yes, but that's fine. Oh, I don't care. We're doing it either way. It's not yeah. like, you know, but I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> in some I think this should be pretty clear to anybody listening, actually. Yeah. <laughs> like- yeah. It's funny because I think we've come up with more ideas for other podcasts to do. Yes. Accurate. So mm-hmm. you guys let us know, listeners. They don't if, care. If we pivoted to a wholly different topic, would that matter? Do you think we would lose listeners? <laughs> we just uh, bottle it as a whole different thing. And yeah. We'll see right. what happens from there. Maybe it's a slightly more you know, refined focus of what we're doing, where right now it's just anything and everything uh, yes. that has any tangential connection to 1994. Absolutely. Speaking yeah. of anything and everything that has a tangential connection to 1994, today's episode. Boom! <laughs> Great segue. Oh my God. Am I good at podcasts? You should so. be the full-time host. I might oh. not even show up anymore. <laughs> no, I don't bring anything to this. That is a bad idea. <laughs> okay, so we thought today we would talk about some of the unsung heroes of 1994. And no, we don't mean people. We just mean things that we liked that we think are undervalued. Not yeah. not appreciated from 1994. That came out in 94 or that wrapped up in 94, but have real 94 connections, not really? say how much we like Joel Embiid, who came out in 1994. Oh, my <laughs> that's God. That's gross. Yeah. I knew where you were going with that, and I did not like it. I didn't like it as soon as I was saying it, but that's we're because we've done a couple of those kind of episodes <laughs> that are like, they were born in 94, and then we talk about stuff they did in 2014, and it just doesn't feel exactly right. Mm-hmm. doesn't feel fitting. So, yeah, uh, these are very 1994 things. So yes, we're. Locked into the time frame now. We are. 
Yeah. So I will kick us off. Is that is that enough small talk? Can I can I get started? <laughs> I don't. Do you think that was an appropriate amount of small talk? I, I do. We've got to ease everybody in because otherwise, if you jump right into the topic, I think people get disgusted. They turn it off. <laughs> this is a, this is a problem I have in in meetings actually, where people yell at me for just being like, "Hey, I've got work to do." And uh, not uh, not being like, how's your how's your kids? Because I don't care about your kids. You got to ask about those people's kids. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the topic for today, Unsung Heroes of 1994. I'm going to kick us off with uh, one of my very favorite things that came out in 1994, which is the remake of the movie An Affair to Remember, which was called Love Affair. Now, I ran across this movie in, I don't know. 1998 ish Mm. um, on HBO had never seen an affair to remember and was like, damn, this shit is good. (laughs) This is a great movie. I love it. I love it so much. And it was in my top five favorite movies. I think to this day, you could say it's in the top five to seven. Wow. Um, It's Warren Beatty, Annette Bening remake of love affair. One of the, Uh who are the sisters that are actresses? The red grapes. No. Ooh, the Lennon sisters. Who was in the original Deborah Kerr. Oh, no, not her. Um, no, they were sisters. And Olivia they, de Havilland. Uh, no. And um, <laughs> who was in Breakfast at Tiffany's? Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Catherine Hepburn, I think, is in this movie. Audrey Hepburn would have been dead by the time they made yes. Love Affair. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. They, they were sisters? They were not sisters. Damn it. <laughs> they were cousins. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Close enough. They were related. They were both Hepburns. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I believe it was Catherine Hepburn played an old lady in this movie. Uh, <laughs> she was an old lady. <laughs> she was an old lady. It worked out. Um, but no, great, great, like beautiful cinematography. Great story. If you've seen an affair to remember, it's the same story. So that's good. <laughs> um, it ends the same way. It kicked off my uh, love for Annette Benning. Don't let your sister hear this. Angie um, does not like Annette Benning. Joe's sister hates Annette Benning. I love yeah. Annette Benning. I think she's great. And she was in Love Affair, which is a great movie. Very romantic, very lovely. 16-year-old Sarah was like very into this movie. Came out in 1994, not appreciated as it should be. Yeah, I don't know what the the later life for Love Affair is. No. I don't think um, Warren Beatty didn't direct Love Affair, right? Did he? he? I mean, after a point, he kind of directed everything he was in. More or less, because he doesn't really make that many movies from the early 80s onward, really. I mean, he would pop up and stuff. But for the most part, he was directing what he was in. Yeah. I just don't know what Love Affair off the top of my head. Uh, No, he did not direct it. He produced it. Oh. He wrote the screenplay for it with some other folks. It shouldn't have been that hard because it was based on another movie. (laughs) Like, it wasn't even based on a book. Just need to adapt it into the 90s. Someone named Glenn Gordon Carone directed it. Do you know that person? I don't know who that is. He directed it. Yeah, I don't, but I don't know if Love Affair, I think Love Affair was an okay size hit. I think people, you know, again, Warren Beatty was still popular-ish in those yeah. days and he was still, he's still around. He doesn't do much now, but, you know, I think that movie made money, but I don't know what sort of later life Love Affair has uh, in I, reality. I think most people just watch An Affair to Remember. <laughs> like That's it's an all-time classic. Yeah. Unpopular opinion. I think this one's better. Okay. I don't, I think I've seen it. Maybe once, but I don't. It's, this isn't a movie even you watch all that often that I can. Oh, think no, of. I don't. I don't have a lot of rewatching of it, but I do. It's just. It's like it's this very magical like essence of the film. It's oh. just it's lovely. They meet on a boat. It's all in soft focus. Yeah, and uh, they and while they're on the boat, they go to like Tahiti or Tahiti. They go to Tahiti, I think, and they like meet her aunt, who is Catherine Hepburn, ah. in Tahiti, oh. and uh, hang out there for a bit. 
And then and then the plot follows an affair to remember. I don't actually remember if an affair to remember remembers the whole thing. Like they meet on the boat and I'm pretty sure they do meet on the on a boat in an affair. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. They meet somewhere very early on, but I'm pretty sure it might be a boat. Yeah. Yeah. The rest more or less follows the film. And uh, it's good. Okay. Good. Yeah. yeah, If people if people have abandoned love affair to just watch other Warren Beatty movies, then they, they missed out. Damn shame. Were Warren Beatty and Annette Bening already together when they made this movie? I think they were, yeah. Like, And so I think that's part of the reason they were both in it is oh. if he produced it, I assume he had something to do with her getting cast. But she's oh, good. That she's would very- make sense because they did Bugsy together. That was like 91. So yeah. I think they maybe they got together then. Because when he did Dick Tracy, he was dating Madonna. Isn't that oh, right? That's right. Yeah. And that was 90. So I would guess it was probably right around there. Yeah. But Annette Bening doesn't have a ton of credits before that point. Like she was pretty young. She was in the Grifters. I think that was ninety, and she's pretty young in that. So yeah. So figure math wise, she hasn't aged that much by ninety four. Yeah, <laughs> very good at math. Four years. She yeah. Does seem middle aged in this movie though to me. She looks real young in the Grifters, but maybe she can't be that young. I suppose. Yeah. I know there's a big gap between her and Warren, but not yeah, not an obscene gap. It's not forty I, years. I think she's looked like forty to fifty for the last like thirty years. I'd I'd give you that. I mean, you think of even like American Beauty. She looks like an adult like she's older they have kids yeah. like yeah. you know but she couldn't have been that old right well this is uh, also a game that joe and i play what year was annette benning born joe's very good at guessing the year that people were born i'm usually good at that warren Beatty, i would guess because he was in stuff in like the 50s he was born in like 1937 and i'm gonna guess annette benning might have been born in oof i'm gonna say like 1960 1961 Joe strikes again. Warren Beatty was born in 1937. Boom. Call it exactly exa- the year. And Annette Bening was born in 1958. So pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. yeah. I'm usually um, pretty They good. got married in 1992. So they oh. were already married when they filmed uh, this, this lovely film classic, Love Affair, which you should all go see if you haven't seen it. So that's a film where we have a lot of names, uh, a lot of uh, things we can point to in that regard. Uh, I do want to bring up a movie from 94 that I'm a fan of, uh, that I think I'm a fan of in a, in a kind of an abstract way. It, it's a movie I've only seen once, and I think you'll know why when we get into it. But it's kind of a famous movie in its own weird little circle, but I couldn't tell you the name of literally anyone in the film, <laughs> any actor involved in the project. And that's the 1994 uh, version of the Fantastic Four which famously was made because the rights were going to expire by the studio. So they had to crank out some version of the movie. And there's a pretty good documentary about the making of this movie. And I'm pretty sure I saw that first because that was like a real project that had a release. Where do you see that? Like, where do you want to cross a documentary about the making of a 1994 Fantastic Four film? I mean, you don't understand. Like, this was this famous underground movie in a lot of ways. That like everybody knew existed. But for the longest time, you couldn't see the Fantastic Four movie. Like, after they made it. In the time between when they made it and were going to release it, I want to say the studio got sold and oh. they just didn't bother putting it out. Like it was just and and it's a terrible movie. Like that's also part of this. But they made this documentary about it a couple only a couple years ago. And I want to say I saw it on Prime. It's streaming somewhere. And it's such a fascinating way about how this movie came to be. And then how they kind of snow everybody who's in the film. Like these people thought they were in this big movie. Like this is a big superhero movie, even for 94, where there really weren't a ton of superhero movies at that time. 
But it, it does make for a pretty interesting story. And now, in later years, you can find copies of the Fantastic Four movie. They would pop up variously, like on VHS at random Comic Con type events. And now it's on YouTube. Like you can just watch the Fantastic Four movie. But like they had no budget for effects. And like the Fantastic Four is not a simple comic book story. Like you could make a low budget Batman legitimately. He has no powers, right? You could just dress up uh, somebody as a villain and then have them punch each other. Like it'd be very simple. Yeah. Fantastic Four have cosmic powers. Like the one guy is, you know, Mr. Fantastic can stretch and the human torch is on fire. Like yeah. it's a lot of complicated stuff. Isn't also the rock man in the Fantastic Four? Yeah. I mean, you've got Ben Grimm. The thing is, is just made out of rocks. So like that's all complicated stuff to do in a low budget movie. Yeah. And they give it like a real earnest try. And I think that's what's so endearing about the movie is that they're really giving it this low budget shot, you know? And so even though the movie isn't great because there's no money and it's, it's too complicated a story to tell in this very simple way, yeah. what they're trying to do, it is kind of entertaining, like in, in that kind of scattershot, you know, indie film way. So I, I would make the case that while the Jessica Alba, Chris Evans, Fantastic Four movies have great effects and are pretty fun. They're not great Fantastic Four movies. Like I, I, I think that there's the comic is such a it was such an early years Marvel comic, and it's like it's the first family of Marvel and all of this. That those movies have no gravity at all. Like they just they don't hold up well. Yeah. They're not made during a great period of time for superhero movies because I think that like Spider Man had just come out and we hadn't gotten into the big Marvel movies yet or the dark Batman movies yet that. It was just kind of like, we'll just dazzle everybody with effects and that'll be yeah. it. There's like, a lot of stuff to like in those Fantastic Four movies. I'm not saying that they're bad movies. I just don't think they're great Fantastic yeah. Four movies. If Are that they makes like sense. too goofy? Are they goofy? Yeah, they're just kind of silly, sort of. Like, yeah. they add in too much silly shit. Now, that being said, the this Fantastic Four movie is also heavy on silly nonsense. But there yeah. is this sort of weight to it. Like, they really do try, I think, to, to come across a pretty heavy story, which... I think is what you need for the Fantastic Four. Yeah. And then much later, there's the other Fantastic Four movie, the the Josh Trank movie with uh, Kate Mara and, and Michael B. Jordan. I don't think which we is, saw that, did we? It's a terrible, it's a, that is the worst movie. Like, oh. so the fact that they could make that with all the budget in the world and it goes so wrong. And I mean, there's a lot of stories about why that movie was so awful. Mm -hmm. But that movie, there's no way you could say that movie is better than the 1994 Fantastic Four movie. There's no way. Uh, so I can't fully weigh in on that, but as you were talking about it, I pulled up the Rotten Tomatoes for this movie, and it's going off at 27 on the audience score and 30 on the tomato meter, which is, you know, not The 94 great. movie's at 30? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty... That For this movie, that's not bad. Yeah. And it's funny because the if you go into the comments, which are like just whatever randos, people yeah. are either like, this movie's terrible because they're clearly holding it to like a Marvel like bar, or there is a woman from 2018 who said it was by far the best Fantastic Four movie. And that's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I legitimately would rather watch this movie than any of the other Fantastic Four movies. But look up... But what's the Rotten Tomatoes on the one from like, what was it, 2015? The 2015 one... <laughs> is at nine percent nine yeah and like that's generous because that is an atro it's an atrocious movie like yeah. it's that was a movie that i went and saw in theaters by myself because i was there was no way i could drag you to see it because i knew it was supposed to be bad but i had to see really how bad it was and it's yeah. it's awful it's god awful 
Yeah. Now, the thing with the Fantastic Four movie, the, the 94 movie, to even fit into this concept, it's hard to say it's an unsung movie because it was just like this famous movie no one could see for a long yeah. time. But I don't know that anybody realized what it actually was because all you had were like set photos and it all it looks cheap. Like it, it yeah. looks, you know, it looks homemade, but it's endearing. Like it's a it's it's a lovable movie for what it is. Yeah. But again, I couldn't tell you the name of anyone involved in that movie. Like, I don't know anything, you know, I don't know. I don't think anybody in that movie has gone on to have any sort of real career. Like no. they might be people in the industry doing this and that, but yeah. Um, and it's sad because like there's stories about these people where they really thought they were in a big movie and they were trying to like promote it and do stuff as it was, as they were approaching a release. And then the studio knew what they had on their hands and they, they didn't put it out. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the 94 Fantastic Four. So talking about this movie that had a 30% Rotten Tomato score compared to the 2015 one, which had a 9% Rotten Tomato score, I would like to transition to a television show that also had a 9% Rotten Tomato score that Ooh. I think is wholly underappreciated and wholly underrated. A great contribution to the canon uh, for this series of television shows that ended in 1994, began in 1993, and that is Saved by the Bell, the College Years. Oh, my God. Which is a bomb-ass TV show. You can believe that, that if you want to. It's is that so possibly great. true? Yeah. So here's the thing. If you watch all of Saved by the Bell, as any, everyone my age did, because it was always, I, I, was it a nighttime show? Was it an after-school show? Who knows? I don't understand how it started. I don't I think understand. it was syndicated originally, right? It was syndicated, but I think originally it was on like at night, I think. Really? I don't know. I, I, I honestly have no idea where I, I it always felt like it was on in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Or like, like an at, afternoon show. at 3.30 when you got home from school, right? Yeah. So random. But that gave you the opportunity to watch it every day, which I definitely did. And as weird and like cliched and cheesy and all the things that Saved by the Bell was, it was like formative for everyone in my generation. And when they went to college, it was the coolest. Like I know it 9%, but look, I'm going to make the argument that Saved by the Bell, the college years was no better or worse than the original Saved by the Bell. Because I think it actually like legit was in prime time because they were grownups yeah. and I can see how it wouldn't survive. But like everyone had like cooler hair and uh, they were like buffer. Like sure. Zach got like a little swole in this show. There was like a, there was their like RA who was an adult and he like played football and he's like a, an actual football guy. You know who he is. I yeah. don't know. Bob Golick. Yeah. yeah. He's Mike, yeah. Mike Golick's brother. Yeah. Yeah. And I but I think he. Actually, as a football player, right? I, th I mean, Mike Golick was in the league. He was he was in the NFL. Bob Golick might have been. I mean, he wasn't. I would say a fantastic actor, but he was great <laughs> on this show. And like, He's okay, He's and like, right. they started it with just the guys, and then they were like, oh no, 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 we cannot do this. And they added Kelly. And when they yeah. added Kelly, it was like, oh yeah, Kelly's here. Like that's and the other girls were were good and funny. Alex and the blonde one, whose name I uh, can't remember right now. And it was like one year of a great like continuation. Like, look, those kids were getting old. They were they had to graduate them because it was starting to be no longer believable that Mario Lopez was a high schooler. And so like it makes sense. I thought the college years was it, I would say if I had to rank, obviously, the original Saved by the Bell is first. Um, I would put the Mrs. Bliss show. No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. No, the 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 regular Saved by the Bell, the Saved by the Bell oh. that everybody knows is first. Okay. The say I would put the college year second. I would put the special about Zach and Kelly's wedding third. 
uh, I would put the Miss Bliss show, which was originally called Good Morning Miss Bliss, but eventually was just Saved by the Bell, but is clearly a different show yeah. than, than Saved by the Bell because it's got it only has some of the characters. It's got it's all centered around Miss Bliss, who then went away. Yeah. Um, so that and, and then I would put the new class last because all they had was like Belding and Screech, and that was just not sufficient. Yeah. Um, we haven't actually watched enough of the reboot, but when we watched the first episode, we were like, this is kind of funny because it's the, like it's we it's really interesting. The first episode was legitimately great. Like, yeah. and that's the only one I've seen, but that episode was great. Like it was and it it because it took all the Saved by the Bell stuff and somehow turned it up and made it almost like a parody that it was incredible. It's an incredible, it's an incredible single episode. I have no idea what they do with the rest of the yeah. show. We yeah. need to finish that. But now that you have my ranking, like that's I really feel like nine percent on rotten tomatoes and one year of episodes was insufficient yeah. to really appreciate. Uh, what was going on in Saved by the Bell? I mean, I really, it's probably just that the transition was too much. Like, because Saved by the Bell is such a G rated, you know, silly look at high school. Like, there is nothing realistic about that show besides the fact that Zach Morris is the cruelest character in the oh, history of the, the world. Worst. And, like, besides that, and that, like, that's what that show was, the fact that they then tried to transition into a, a regular college show, I mean, it was still pretty pg it's not a, a a racy show but it's clearly like a much older show and i yeah. think that that yeah. transition was hard for people to swallow because yeah. you still have screech you know like it's still ridiculous yeah even though again dustin diamond was a genius so. i mean look screech was a was a good character and yeah. and uh you know the the trio of guys really worked it was a good balance you know yeah. um but i really i just i'm disappointed that they didn't give it more time to mature <laughs> Even yeah. though they had had several seasons of the original show to do that, theoretically. A lot of but, seasons. I mean, it was really, like, the the topics weren't really heavier. They didn't really cover super mature topics, but they covered, like, drug use and drinking and stuff in, yeah. in the high school show. So it didn't really, like, it didn't get heavier. Everyone just got older. Yeah. No, it, it's, I would think it was a problematic thing. I bet if that had aired during the day, it would have been okay. But because it's a college show, like you can't mm -hmm. aim it directly just at children. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, probably the problem. They didn't know what the audience was. And turned out there really was no audience. For yeah. It. Do you think the show would have been improved if everybody had come back and somehow they were all going to the same college? <laughs> I mean, because I, mean, I think Lisa in college would have been great. Like that could have really worked. Yeah. I, yeah. I think Lisa probably is also an underappreciated character, but they yeah. never gave her enough to do. Oh, um, Lisa was legitimately my favorite character from the original show. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I just always thought she was great. And they, again, they never really gave her anything no, to do. They didn't give her enough to do. Yeah, Cause at least um, she was like different. Like there was like a, li a little bit, like her character was just abrasive enough with the group that oh. I thought that like she, she wasn't just another one of these kind of, yeah. rah rah kids like she had a little bit of an edge to her and i thought that was really interesting yeah but they never true. wanted to go down the avenue with her so you have kelly and you have jesse jesse who were basically the same person like jesse's supposed to be the brains but yeah. she didn't act like a genius really and then kelly yeah. was like a cheerleader but she was basically on the same level as everybody else yeah i don't know it just everybody else was kind of neutral and then screech was a complete dork yeah and then lisa was this other character i just really like yeah. you know i was kind of sad they didn't do more with her yeah well there was that that one, I don't know if it was like a half season or whatever that they had Tori. The, oh, yeah. yeah. The, the girl who wore the leather jacket. So she had a little edge to her. 
Two? Yeah, well, I think I think they realized they couldn't just bring in another generic character like everybody else they had. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I don't really know the story of what happened there, but Tori she was, was very much Joe there. from the Facts of Life. That was her. her character. <laughs> yes, she was. That's, yeah. that's we can't exactly have the, everybody be exactly the same. Let's get yeah. somebody slightly edgier. And that was yeah. what they did. Yeah. yeah. So Save by the Bell, the, uh, the college years, way better than most people think it is, and you should go watch it. I'm glad that someone appreciates that show because I I've only seen little bits of it and I always think of it as that weird show that Bob Golick was on because I don't know what he's doing there uh, hanging out with like Scra- Screech and Zach and Slater I don't know it's yeah. weird and and he's, he's he's okay like he's like an adult learner but also the RA yeah it's weird it's a weird it's a weird <laughs> concept like why did but why did they need that character like why did he have to be on the show it was I don't the building. I guess, but he's not really like, I don't know. He seems like he's with them more than he's like over them, you know? And that just yeah. always seemed kind of weird. Like, yeah, I mean, they're in college, so they need someone to give advice, not someone to tell them what to do. So then in the same vein, I, I did want to try to find a show that I really liked from 94 that I don't know has a good later life. Like there's a bunch of shows that started in 94 that were like kind of cult hits. So like we talked about including The Critic, because we both really like The Critic, even though I haven't really seen it now in a while, but I really liked it when it was on. But I think The Critic has that. Like, I think The Critic, people recognize, was a great show. Like, it's not a forgotten show, like some things. Uh, Space Ghost started in 94, the the crazy Space Ghost talk show, Mm -hmm. which was great. But I think people remember that. Like, I think because it was so strange that it had that. So what I wanted to bring up, what I realized ended in 94, was a show I loved when it was on, and I haven't seen it since then. And I don't, I don't think it's ever on. There Maybe there's episodes on YouTube. And that's Herman's Head. And I thought Herman's Head, when I was a kid, was just amazing. Like, because the concept is so crazy for a network show. Like, it's on Fox, so, like, that all makes sense. But you don't remember Herman's Head, right? No, I'm going to need you to explain the concept, because I never yeah. understood what Herman's Head was. So Herman's Head, he's just a guy. Herman... I believe just works in like a, a publishing firm. He's just a, a a guy. And the show would cut between what's going on in his life and his like buddies and doing relationships and this and that to all of these characters in his head, which was clearly, if it wasn't the direct inspiration, it's very, very similar to Pixar's Inside Out. It's the same idea, basically, yeah. except instead of where Inside Out, I think there's five of them, right? Mm-hmm. There's only four in his head. There's three male characters in his head, and then there's the female character who's supposed to be like oh. his empathetic emotions, essentially. Yeah. But the guy, the guys that represent this, uh, his guyness basically are this like character who's like this broy fraternity dude who's just the the basically his sex his id basically is that yeah. guy his sex driven man man stuff. Yep. Then there's like a neurotic character, and then there's his intelligence is basically oh. the other guy. So these are the they're not exactly emotions. They're they're where again, if you think of it in the inside out way, it's so much that it's like joy and sadness and anger and anger, like thing like big things. This is more a little more compartmentalized as far as like facets of his personality. Personality or his how he's processing stuff. Yeah. And so the show would cut between what he's doing in his life, like whatever the scenario is, and then how he's processing this in his mind. But where in Inside Out, they're all sort of working together if, when they're all in the room together, not when it's the plot and they're off yeah, doing yeah. stuff. On Herman's head, like they would actually battle with each other. Like they would actually get into conflicts to try to, and then, and some of this would get portrayed by what he's doing, but a lot of it would just be this is how he's grappling with stuff. And 
the warring part of his emotions. And it's just the concept was so high for a TV sitcom that I think that it's, it was A, really memorable, but B, it was very appealing when you're, you know, when I was 12. The show started in 1991 and it ran for three years. Yeah. And I don't remember how it ended. I think it just got canceled. I don't think there was like a finale of any significance to that show. That's so and interesting. It's a really interesting show. Like it was really, and it was, as I remember it, it was pretty funny. Like it was, it, it really worked as a sitcom. Yeah. But again, like the concept was so high. Like that's really what I think drew drew you in. Yeah. Because even like then and now, you don't really see sitcoms that have a wild concept like that. Usually sitcoms yeah. are trying to stay on the air for a really long time. Yeah. So they're like, well, let's make it real relatable. And it's a family or it's people at a workplace or something like that. It's it's things like The Good Place that are real. Yeah, really, that's what I was just going to bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the only, uh, there's sitcoms like that. Or if you go back, you can find, you know, I Dream a Genie or sitcoms that are have some fantastic element or something yeah. like that. But even then, it's all, all like that and Bewitch were all like, take fantastic elements, set them in the real life. And the comedy right. comes from the conflict there. But this is just like this and, and shows like the good. It's just like crazy concepts that you play for comedy right. within the scope of the concept. Right. In a live action show, I think it's a really yeah. rare thing. A live action network show like yeah. Herman's Head now would be like a great show on Netflix or like yeah. on Hulu. It's that because it would need like that and to be like a 10 episode season. The fact that they were doing full seasons of this crazy idea. That's crazy. Yeah. And like but I just remember loving that show and just thinking just how good it was. And there were a couple like notable people who came out of it like Hank Azaria and Yardley Smith are both on it. Now they were both already on The Simpsons at the same time. Oh yeah. So it's not like they were nobody but like but in the live action capacity, these were probably these are some of their biggest credits from that time, anyway. Yeah, and it was. Just, I mean, Hank Azaria was the dog walker. I'm mad about you. So. Oh well, that's right. That's that would have been right around that. Been right, right around that time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so I don't know. Again, I don't know that this inspired Inside Out, which Inside Out's basically perfect. Like Inside Out's yeah. a masterpiece, but I mean, it's such a it's such a similar idea that I think when I first saw the trailers for Inside Out. When, six years ago yeah this was the first thing that came to mind it's like well this is just herman's head like yeah you know, it's a kid so it, the the difference is pretty dramatic and you would like imagine inside out if she's grown up how weird that sh that yeah. idea yeah, would yeah. be that's what herman's head basically is yeah so i wonder if that's on dvd because i would really like to watch herman's head again I'd, I'd be really curious to see it so that's what i was gonna ask you is like do you know if you can watch this anywhere I don't, I've never just stumbled across it streaming, but there's enough of it that I would think that there might be like yeah. that it might. And it was, again, it was a famous show, even, no matter how popular it was. I don't really remember how well it did. I, I wasn't paying attention to stuff like that in the early, early nineties. So we kind of, we talked about the fact that you were drawn to the concept, but like, was the show itself good? Like, was the writing good? Like, was I, it? Clever? I remember it being pretty good. Now, I mean, the problem is the characters in the head were very two dimensional. Yeah. Because like, even yeah. though they would argue about stuff and kind of come to agreements and this and that, they're still these very basic template. That's sort of the point. Yeah. And that's how this has to work. Like, that was the only way the show really functioned. But I remember the show being pretty entertaining. Like, as crazy as the concept was, if that's really all you're going on, you're you're going to have a hard time getting a lot of mileage out of that. Yeah. But I remember I remember liking it. Now, again, this started the show started when I was 12 or 11 and then goes until yeah. 94. So this isn't the greatest time for critical thinking, Joe. Like, yeah, I think I've said before, I didn't realize like good movies existed till 92, 93. Yeah. So this wouldn't really be a great line for that. 
So I, I'd be curious to watch it now and see if it holds up. You know, like there's a sitcoms from the 80s that like you watched a lot when you were a kid. And now you watch them and you're like, I don't really like I thought Night Court was hilarious when I was a kid. And now yeah. you see it and it's like it's entertaining, but it's it's really hokey. Like it's really I honestly wonder if some of that, too, is driven just by how great TV has been in our lifetime. Like yeah. not even just right now, but like 90s TV was amazing. Like, yeah. you know, now t- like we just came out of, I think, a, a pretty solid golden age of television. Now there's so much great work going on on TV. So like if Night Court's one of four things you can watch, right. it seems pretty great. But if given what we have, like, I think it's it's harder. I guess my other question about Herman's head is, you know, there was the plot in his head and, and his interactions, but were there characters in, like, Herman's world that were on the show enough that they would, like, drive plot lines? Like, did he have girlfriends? Did he have co Like, whatever it was. I mean, a lot of it was his job and his co-workers and then... I believe him like having relationships. I don't distinctly remember if he had like a consistent girlfriend or if he was going on dates. Yeah. I feel like he was single and that was why it was interesting because otherwise it seems like the yeah. head characters would always be against or at least be dealing with one thing. And yeah. then how much mileage could you get out of that? But Hank Azaria wasn't one of the head characters. He was his like coworker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so like, so Hank Azaria, he was doing a lot. The guy who played Herman was good um, and has had, has done other stuff. William Ragsdale, uh, who had like an okay career. He did some stage stuff and he was later on Ellen, at least somewhat. Oh, I feel like I know who you're talking about. What's his name? William Ragsdale. I think you'd recognize him to see him. And I mean, the thing was, as Herman, he had to kind of interpret a lot of what's going on on the other half of the show. He has to be able to portray a lot of that. Yeah. Which I think is hard, but I remember him being effective as a, as the lead on that show. And he's done a bunch of, of other TV. He was on justified for a while and he's had, he's had a good, a solid ish career. There were a bunch of pretty good people on Herman's head here and there to, to take a glance at it. Bobcat Goldthwait pops up at one point. Leslie Nielsen popped up on the show. Nice. Not too bad. So one, another one of the real life characters on the show played was Carol on friends. Oh yeah. 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 What's her name? Jane Civet. Oh, would not have been able to come up with that, but yeah. But like, she's one of the, she's also in the, the real world part of the show. So yeah. like, there were pretty, like there were good people and considering they got what, 60 some episodes out of that, out of that concept. Yeah. Not bad. 72 episodes they did. Well, speaking of things that you were weirdly interested in, in 1994, there's no segue between what you just talked about and what I'm about to talk about. Isn't there? No, no. You know something isn't. you liked that I liked that we all liked. We might not be segueing to the same thing. Oh, remember when you liked things? I used to like things too. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was basically the segue I laid down. Mm-hmm. I know you were interested in something. I also was interested in something. No, but I wanted to talk about something that came out in 1994 that I was really, truly, unreasonably obsessed with. Like hung ads up on my wall, freaked out whenever I saw one in person. And that is the Dodge Neon. I'm going to just throw out there. Anyone who's listening to this, if you didn't like, I don't know how much the description is going to have what we're going to talk about. There is yeah. no chance they could have guessed what's coming next. <laughs> There's no way that they had. Oh, oh, obviously it's the Dodge Neon. I was, I was super into the Dodge Neon. Why? I don't know. I thought it was an adorable car. The ads just said hi. They were cute. And it, they like came out. So it was the first time you ever saw them. So when you would see them on the road, it's like 
So there are models of how you reward someone and how you like drive behavior. And one of them is what we call a variable ratio reward frequency, which means you don't know how often it's going to happen. And it happens every certain number of times you do something. So like a slot machine is a variable ratio. Catching shinies in the Pokemon. Catching shinies in the Pokemon. Great example. Seeing a Dodge Neon on the road was variable ratio reinforcement for me when I in 1994. I would oh, get I so freaking excited. I would like spend all my time in the car looking for Dodge Neons. And I remember like I would hit my parents and be like, oh my God, there's a Dodge Neon. And they were like, why? Why? Yeah. Why? It is a cheap car. What are you doing? Uh, I just really, I, I dreamt of having a Dodge Neon. I think by the time I could buy my own car, even a very inexpensive car, it was already not a thing that you could do anymore. I don't know. But like, I was really into the Dodge Neons. I had the yeah. round headlights. It was the, it was the headlights. I mean, that's all it really was. It was the headlights. I had the round headlights, had the triangle taillights. I was just very, very into the Dodge Neon. Like, it's weird. It's borderline weird maybe full on into weird. I think I've looked this up before, but I wanted to check and make sure they stopped making Dodge Neons in 2005. So that's even later than I would have thought. I, I feel like they were such a 90s thing. Yeah. But I, I, I bought my first car, a Honda Civic in 2005. Uh, you could have done it. You could have had the last one, Damn the last it. one off the assembly line. Yeah. No. When I was in high school, I knew a guy who drove a Neon and it was white. And I just yep. always remember because the door handles weren't on the outside. They were yes. in between the door and the car, yep. basically. Why? I, that was always the weirdest thing to me because I never knew anybody who had a car like that. To this day, have never been inside a Dodge Neon. Oh. But I like, but when it started, it was a Plymouth Neon. That was what it was when it first came out. Right. That's sure. right. Yeah. And then it became a Dodge Neon. But I wanted a Plymouth Neon so freaking bad. <laughs> I remember my parents were going to buy a car and I tried to convince them to buy a neon and they were like, that's idiotic. No, that's not what we're doing. And I couldn't tell you, I have no memories of the car itself. I just remember like I was, this was like somebody who was just a little older than me in high school. So like I couldn't, I couldn't even drive. Like I was probably 15 and he had this neon, this white neon that he, he had nicknamed Kirby because it looked like Kirby from the, from the Mario, you know? And that was it. Like it was, that was this car, but it had the weird door handles. That was all I, all I really I think had. you would get a new one for like three grand. Like I just, yeah. I mean, I not think really. we've looked this up to see like, can you buy, are there old neons out there? I mean, these are really yeah. old cars now. Yeah. Like you, you buy a car from 20 years ago. You're now basically buying an antique. Yes. But uh, yes. they're really hard to find. Yeah. You, you can buy them. I, we found like one on CarMax and it was pretty yeah. cheap, but I was like, I can't, I can't buy yeah. it. Because anything you, you buy that it. old, you're, there's the potential of if, if it breaks, you can't get it fixed. No. And it's going to have a million miles on it. And they were not very sturdy cars to begin with. Right. So it's not like it's going to last. Night well, came out in 1994. Young Sarah, completely obsessed with the, the Plymouth Neon. I'll, we'll have to see if we can get you, like, I don't know, a book of their ads because we can't get you a car. No. The, the Dungeon Neon, that's not going to happen. So that, that dream is dead. Yeah. Well, as little as we have to say about the mid-90s Dodge Neon, there's even less to say about what I wanted to bring up at this point. Which, if you know me any little bit, shouldn't be a surprise, but I, I wanted to mention a uh, candy bar started in 1994, and I think we found still exist. I think so. But yeah. we, you don't really see them all that much anymore, no. and that's the Nutrageous, which is a just wonderful candy bar that I think was, I think of very much as being a 90s thing that has yeah. disappeared. And so I would be surprised to see that they still exist. And I'm still somebody who buys candy bars yeah. with some frequency. I, I could not support this selection more. Excellent yeah. choice. 
it was a great, it was a great candy bar because as I recall, it has peanut butter and peanuts in it, which is such a a ludicrous doubling down in this inside the same candy bar. Yes, that. Uh, I think that's why it worked so well. Like I like candy bars that have tons of different things in it. Like those take fives that oh, have just take like fives are the best peanuts and peanut butter and pretzels, pretzels and all kinds top. of wacky shit in there. And I think, but I do think the Dodge, the, the Dodge neon, I do think the nut rages <laughs> was the precursor to all of that. Yeah. The Dodge neon is basically the nut rages of cars. It, yes. 100%. Yeah. Like I liked whatchamacallits, but whatchamacallits weren't as crazy as the title made it sounds like it's a yeah. pretty simple concept inside that bar. Yes. Right? And most candy bars are really just like nougat, peanuts, caramel, you know, a lot of basic stuff. Yes. And it seemed like Nutrageous was really going for it. It was really, it was nuts to the wall. Can you, <laughs> gross, can you describe a Nutrageous bar? No. How is it constructed? Oh, okay. I, 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 I believe, I mean, I, the way I'm thinking of it is peanut butter, peanuts, and chocolate. But there might, there must have been something else holding all that together. I think that's actually right. Like I Googled it before we started. Cause when Joe said that he wanted to talk about this, I was like, Oh, I know the name, but it wasn't until I like Googled it that I figured out like, Oh yes, I have definitely eaten these. And I mean, I haven't five. had one in probably 20. Oh, it's gotta be over 20 years. So I, I can't remember it distinctly. I just remember yeah. that. And that it's, it was such a revolutionary concept for the construction of a candy bar, but there must've been something else holding it together. It had some caramel in it. Oh, okay. okay. So I think that it was like sense. a, it was like a peanut butter core and yep. then it was peanuts and caramel oh. and then chocolate on the outside is the version that I saw. And but see, also- I think, I think that's why it was so odd is because most of the times with a candy bar, if you bite into a candy bar, you, the pulling away action is usually some sort of nougaty caramely thing yep. where the nutrageous actually seemed to fall apart a little bit when you bit yeah. into it in more of a Twix or a Kit Kat kind of way where it's actually breaking apart. And for a candy bar to have that, all of that stuff and function like that was such an odd kind of yeah. mouth experience, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, it, the, the full core was peanut butter. Like that's right. why it's like the right. caramel, there was some like loose caramel not loose but like some light caramel with the peanuts and i think yeah. that's what held the peanut layer together yeah but the core of it was like crumbly pe- so it's like biting into a bar of a peanut butter cup basically which is a great idea really but if they, i mean it did seem like a psychotic amount of peanuts and peanut butter in there oh. and i mean what's better than that candy bar wise nothing basically nothing it's like peanut butter twix like peanut butter twix has like where because there's no real caramel it's just that you know well it's got the cookie layer though Right, it's got the cookie layer, but like it breaks apart. It doesn't pull yeah. apart, you know? Yeah. So. But even the cookie layer gives it some structure. Like this is just like yeah. gooey, mushy goodness. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if if you, no one's going to let us know, but if you run across nutrageous candy bars and you've never had one, I highly recommend doing so. Yeah. If they still exist, I don't really know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. We should be on the lookout. We should, oh, there's got to be like a real candy store around, right? That has like yeah. tons of types of candy bars. Yeah. We should look into this. We're, we're going to investigate. So... We finally come to the big finale, the big wrap up. And I'm going to let you take it because there's one thing that we totally were in lockstep agreement about. Yes. What was the the unsung hero, the unsung great of 1994? Yeah, uh, because I, I support the Nutrage's choice, but I don't really remember enjoying it. This product that uh, Joe and I aligned on is something that I recall coming out and I recall asking for. And I recall my parents purchasing for me and I recall really freaking enjoying. And that uh, similar, actually, a nice segue from the Nutrageous Candy Bar made by the same company, the Reese's Peanut Butter Puff Cereal. The best. The best. It's like it was like they were like Cocoa Puffs, but better. Is that peanut butter? 
It was almost not cereal. It no, was it, almost not food. It definitely wasn't food. <laughs> it or was cereal. candy. Like, it was candy cereal. Breakfast candy. To the nth degree. The greatest. There's not many things that I would say I'm an expert on. I, I think that I know a little bit about a lot of things and I have enthusiasms. I have interests. Yes. But I would say if there's any one thing I could point to that I really have a deep knowledge and understanding of that's it's breakfast cereal to this day i, I feel yeah. breakfast cereal aficionado you are and i don't think there's anything you could point to that's even remotely similar to reese's puff cereal as a cereal or as a candy no <laughs> like because remember like at the end of it your mouth tastes like you've been eating peanut butter <laughs> yes the yes it's like it's no longer milk it was this almost like viscous oil like like yes. substance like, like chalky in your mouth but I mean, you think of other like when they tried to make other cereals like this that just completely failed. There's an Oreo cereal mm. that was gross. Yep. Like it it didn't work. It, it was chocolatey, but like they had the weird white bits on it that yep. so that didn't work. Can't do that. You know, anything that's too candy or it goes in the wrong direction, like Cookie Crisp, which that's looks like it's going to be great. And then it's yeah. OK. It just tastes like random cereal with like little bits in it. It's nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing by comparison. And then Reese's Puff, Reese's Puff cereal comes along and just, it changed the game. It, it won did. the game. Yep. That was yeah. it. Yeah, I don't think there's anything, not only is there nothing like it, but I don't think there's anything that even comes close to comparing to it. If the bar that you're measuring your cereal against is how much does it taste like candy? I don't think you can point to a different cereal that has nothing similar to it. You know what I mean? Like, you go to my real Cadillac cereals, right? Yeah. Cook, Count Chocula is the greatest cereal ever made. Yeah. But Count Chocula is very similar to a lot of things. Oh, yes. It's a lot. Of, it's very similar to a lot of chocolate cereals. The other monster cereals are the same exact thing, just with a slightly different flavor. That's it. Yep. Like Lux yeah. Charms, too. Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean. There's any all of the marshmallow cereals yeah. bear a lot of similarities, yeah. right? Now, recently, I was Angie sent me a picture of a cereal we had when we were kids that I had completely forgotten about that was called Rocky Road Cereal. Do you remember this? No. It was, it was a delightful amount of chocolate in this cereal, but the yeah. real key to it was that it had these marshmallows that were also covered in chocolate. Ooh. And inside cereal, it was really strange, but it was the thing you remember are those crazy marshmallows. And I, I had completely forgotten about the cereal and she sent me a picture of it. And I was like, yes, that I was- I just keep thinking about nice. biting into those marshmallows when they're dry and getting chills. They weren't, they, they didn't have- that level of chalkiness because yeah. they were covered in chocolate. So the chocolate held them together in the milk. Like it wasn't like mm -hmm. most mm -hmm. breakfast cereal marshmallows have to be made that chalky way because otherwise yep. they'll just dissolve, you know, yep. but no Rocky road cereal. I don't, I have no idea when they stopped making that, but it was, it was a delight. Yeah. Interesting. But I can't I think of another cereal product that has no real good direct comparison to yeah. another cereal. I mean, I think honestly the closest is probably Cocoa Puffs, right? Probably. Like, there's, there's really nothing like Cocoa Puffs really. No. Not you know? really, but I mean, you could make a case that like other big chocolatey cereals, Cocoa Puffs is kind of Count Chocula without the marshmallows, kind yeah. of. Yep. You know, I mean, because if the consistency is similar, it's just the consistency of the puffs in Reese's oh. Puffs is so weird. Like So weird. Because it's crunchy, but it's also soft somehow. Like a little waxy? It's a waxy. little waxy. It's yeah. a little, uh, gr like, gr if it was bigger, you could grip it. <laughs> like, yeah. Yep. I don't know. I don't I can't think of something else that's really like that. It's like no. it's like kicks but covered in some sort of goop. <laughs> like like peanut butter. Like peanut it's like peanut butter. Yeah. yeah. But such a small amount that it's not overly peanut buttery until you've eaten a lot of it and then you realize, holy God, there's just so much peanut butter. Yes. 
Yes. It's a, it's an amazing, I mean, I really think it's an amazing feat of engineering. If they yeah. had like the seven wonders of the edible world, Reese's puff cereal is number one, like how they made it, how they ever came up with it. And the fact that it's good is just mind boggling. And it's still around. Yeah. Like, Reese's puff still yeah. with us to this day. It must be really hard to create a new and launch a new cereal. If I'm putting myself at like the general mills seat, like, or yeah. whatever, whoever the brands are, it must be really hard to create yeah. and launch a new cereal. Just given yeah. how like established the cereal market is, but right. I mean, especially, especially like kids cereal, because I feel like that's such a, almost a generational thing that just keeps getting passed down. Any real yeah. popular kids cereal that you can think of has been around for 50 years, yeah. you know? Totally. So it's only really like these like modern adult cereal. It's all flakes and almonds yeah, and stuff. Brands and things. Yeah. Like the different types of special K and stuff. Yeah. But anything else you can think of, Captain Crunch and Apple Jacks, everything's been around forever. Yeah. You know, corn pops and yeah. So to get into that market, you know, like even I think of them again, I think of the monster cereals because I love the monster cereals as yeah. being this like fresh modern thing. And those have been around for like 55 years. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So like none of that's new. There's nothing new. Like yeah. whenever they make new cereals, it's always based on like a cartoon or it's based on a yeah. movie or, you know, like I remember as a kid, all of those cereals when I was a kid, they had E.T. cereal and they had C-3PO's Mr. T cereal. Uh, I, I mean, all of that. Like it was just marketing tie ins, you know? Yeah. What was your favorite like junk cereal when you were a kid? I really jumped around, but probably most consistently Apple Jacks. I really did mm -hmm. enjoy Apple Jacks. Apple Jacks. Um, uh, they were, yes. I. Yeah. They're just so, also very weird and unique. But yeah. I did, I really liked Apple Jacks. We had a lot of Cocoa Puffs too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I liked a lot. I was a lot of chocolatey cereals, you know, Cocoa uh, Cocoa Pebbles, Cocoa Puffs, oh, Fruity Pebbles. I was Pebbles. a fan of the Pebbles. I did not the like Pebbles, Pebbles, you had to eat them quick. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that is just a mushy bag of nothing by the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The Fruity Pebbles, the Cocoa Pebbles, not my thing. Yeah. I don't buy them. I mean, I still revisit a lot of stuff. Cocoa Krispies. I revisit a lot of junk cereal yep. still to this day. But I, I haven't had Cocoa Pebbles in a really long time. Yeah. That's a tough eat. That's tough. It's a tough mouthfeel. <laughs> it's bad. Do you think that's how the cereal connoisseurs evaluate their cereals? I believe it's on mouthfeel. Nose. Yes. You know? <laughs> I, it had wafts of peanut butter. I nose. I like it. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> So what other engineering marvels of food can you even think of? Because again, Reese's Puff cereal is so out of left field. Not Rageous is great. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But yeah. like, I don't, and I don't want to be like, you know, mm -hmm. when they have the, the modern wonders of the world, it's always like the Empire State Building or, you know, big yep. things. This can be something crazy. It doesn't have to be like how perfect Kit Kats are. Even they're perfect, but they know. are perfect. What else, what else would you put up there in the category with Reese's Puff cereal? I would probably go to uh, Cool Ranch Doritos. What exactly are Cool Ranch Doritos? I have no idea. Yeah. They the don't taste like ranch works. dressing. They don't taste like ranch anything. And they are freaking amazing. Amazing. You know, I honest to God, Cool Ranch Doritos are the Reese's Puffs of chips. Because there is, there's no real explanation of what's going on there. Nope. And like Doritos were a solid existing product when that comes out. That's They're great. so different from the other Doritos. Even as Doritos has like, there's like sweet chili and da da da. All of the other Doritos are kind of like the cheese Doritos. They all are yeah. in some form. Like yeah. they they feel similar. The Cool Ranch ones are so different and inexplicably different yeah. that they, I think they are the, again, the Reese's Puffs of the, uh, of the chip world. Yeah. Honest to God, that's the best, that's the best possible answer. Thank you. Yeah, no, I honest, honestly, I'm not even not even kidding because I could not come up with anything better than that. That's as nice a one to one comparison as I could think of. Nailed it. Wonderful job. Wonderful job. Well, 
I mean, I think we have covered the unsung wow. greats. We really have unsung grades of 1994. Um, we appreciate you all coming on this journey. Let us know. I'm going to keep trying to get our yeah. listeners to interact with us. Let us know what you think. Do you like Reese's Puffs? Are they disgusting? Please tell us. <laughs> I remember, must know. Do you remember Saved by the Bell, the, the college years? Are you fond of Bob Golick? Does anybody know where Bob Golick is right now? Can we get him on the show? <laughs> He's not available. Uh, no. Definitely not. I would like to see um, a William Ragsdale, uh, Bob Golick odd couple, you know, <laughs> at like the Scarsdale Community Theater or whatever. That'd be great. <laughs> um, was Catherine Hepburn badly miscast in Love Affair? Let me know. <laughs> she seems real random. Seems like you I mean, could have gotten th- any old lady. I believe that character is in an affair to remember, but I don't know that it was ga- it was given the gravity that like Catherine Hepburn showing up would be. Yeah. You know, yeah. It would have been nice. If she was played by the person who was in the original An Affair to Remember. Uh, yeah, I don't know when that's not what happened. died. I don't know if Deborah Kerr was still around in 94, but she might have. I mean, an, uh, an Affair to Remember is in the early 50s, and Deborah Kerr wasn't an old lady in that, so she might have been still around in 94. I'm not as good pinpointing people's ages the further back you go, but my guess is Deborah Kerr was born well in this century, 1920, 25. She was a, a star in the 50s, so my guess is she was in the business in the 40s. Is Dipper Kerr related to Steve Kerr? I, I don't think so, but I guess it's possible. <laughs> okay, what's your official year for when Deborah Kerr was born? 1923. 1921. Oh, pretty close. She is dead. I know she's dead. Oh. <laughs> she's not 100. I know she's in the death pool. <laughs> I would have run across Deborah Kerr by now. When did she die, though? Uh, 2005? Oh, I she think? totally could have been in, uh, in Love Affair. Yeah. Beatty's getting up there, man. He's still alive? Yeah. Warren Beatty's still around. Yeah. You know, honestly, why I remembered that he was born in 37 was him and Ned Beatty. I don't, they're not, they might've been cousins. I don't, they're not brothers or anything, but they were both born in 37 and Ned Beatty just died. Fascinating. Had that locked in up here. I just had to write it up. (laughs) Well, I feel like we've really spun out here at the end. (laughs) What happened? What did we manage to work in that Warren Beatty and Ned Beatty weren't brothers, but they were cousins? Yeah, it's much like the earlier in the episode, the Catherine Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn conversation. <laughs> hey, who you're welcome. With the same name and aren't related. Deborah Kerr and Steve Kerr. <laughs> <laughs> that has come up a lot in this episode. This is all we've talked about, apparently. <laughs> so who knew? Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't think of anybody else named Ragsdale, but Bob Golick and Mike Golick are brothers. Oh, we did talk about them, too. This is all we talked about. Wow. I think we should just call this one uh, Unsung Heroes uh, slash Siblings? Question <laughs> If that works. We're really having a hard time with themes on these episodes. Oh, man. I'm just trying to knock. I'm glad we got so many topics we went through. Today. Yeah. Really yeah. Good. All right, guys. Well, hey, I mean, All thanks right. for tuning in again. Let us know if you yeah. have any opinions on any of these things. If you've seen yeah. 94 Fantastic Four or if you if you hate Love Affair because of an affair to remember existing or I don't know yeah. if you if you if you owned a Dodge Neon. Any reason. Any reason. at all. Actually, if you still have a Dodge Neon, I'm very interested in hearing from you. If you have one, come by. Come pick us up. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've never been in one. I would really like to be. I, I have to reach out to that guy who I went to high school with and see whatever happened to Kirby. <laughs> hey. I don't know. You saw that neon from 30 years ago? Hey, remember that Dodge neon you drove in high school? <laughs> whatever happened to that? You got that in the garage? Is that your mom's house? Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, guys. Right. It happened one year at gmail.com. Hit us up. Um, uh, do, do you, you want, want to do the outro? Out? Oh, well, I was going to say about the outro. <laughs> But I wanted to see if you wanted to uh, name all of the worst things that Zach Morris ever did on Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> is, this, is it too long a list to end oh. an episode with? 
Ooh, I might need a minute. Okay. Well, everybody, while Sarah recounts all the horrors of Saved by the Bell, the original show, I don't actually know if Zach Morris was as much a monster in college because I would assume he was just roofing chicks. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. Yet another year. Yet another trip down in classic 1994. Back when it all happened. We did it one more time. He got I hope you liked sick it. By pranking you just forgot about the nut rages. Did you ever have Rocky Road cereal? All of his friends. All right, guys. He faked Bye. dying to meet a pop star. He faked being This has been It Happened One Day. Year. Please take a minute so to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever they allow ratings. Please follow us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, follow us on all relevant social media. Thanks. He abandoned all of his friends when they became a famous rock band that he insisted they named after him, the Zacatech. He once framed Slater for punching Screech. He impersonated a college professor to date one of the students. He rigged the driver's egg golf cart to malfunction, and then it crashed with Kelly and Slater in it.